beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. 10 things to tell you listeners, this episode is sponsored by... I'm Laura Tremaine, and I have 10 things to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. Today we're back with one of my very favorite subjects, books. Of course, books. In fact, it will be a book themed week. Because after today's episode, where I have not one, but two different guests for two very different segments, I will also release a bonus episode later in the week, running through what is in my to-read pile for the next few months. I've been so busy during this early part of 2020 that I haven't really been reading as much as usual, and so my to-read pile is toppling over with fantastic titles that I want to share with you, so that will be a bonus later this week. Today, though, I'm doing something a little new for this episode. It's kind of a split conversation. The first half hour of the show, I'm chatting with my friend Jessica Turner. You might know Jessica as the genius behind the Mom Creative blog. You might know her from social media, where she is often sharing great finds from Target, really cool parties and costumes that she does with her kiddos, or you might know her as a speaker and an author. Jessica has written two books. The first one's called The Fringe Hours. The second one is called Stretch Too Thin. I will link to her books and all of her channels in the show notes, but suffice it to say that Jessica is one of my go-tos for time management. And I also love to talk books with her. 
Jess is an avid reader. She's going to talk a little bit more in our conversation about her reading habits and her reading tastes. And we just have a good discussion first about Bookstagram. That's the book reviewing, book sharing element of Instagram. We both have some big feelings about it. And then we each share a few of the best books that we've read lately. Our recommendations are all over the place. I think you will for sure find something of interest between the novels and the nonfiction that we talk about. And then the second half of the show is a conversation I've been meaning to have for a while now, and that is a deep dive or like a deep-ish dive on the controversy around the new novel American Dirt by Janine Cummins. This is a book about Mexican immigrants, and it is also Oprah's latest book club pick. And this novel has stirred up lots of criticism and big picture conversations about who gets to tell what stories, how the publishing industry is complicit in silencing non-white voices, as well as just some really bizarre marketing missteps that have happened with the rollout of the novel American Dirt. I didn't want to talk about this on the show or on social media until I had actually read the book, which just came out in January. I finally finished it over the weekend. I convinced my book club friend, Stephanie Newman-Smith, you might remember her from the book club episode back in December. I made her come over on Sunday afternoon and talk this whole thing through with me. That section about American Dirt ended up being way longer than I was anticipating. But I do think you will take something from our conversation, even if you have not read or do not plan to read American Dirt, because a lot of the things we're talking about apply to more than just that novel. So it's a lot of book talk this week. You know it's my favorite thing. I can't wait to hear from you on social media or in the new 10 Things to Tell You connection group on Facebook. I want to hear what you have been reading and loving lately, so please do come tell me and also start good conversations with your friends about it. Reading is the easiest way for us to broaden our minds and our hearts. I will never stop talking about it. So here we go. On to the show. Jessica, thank you so much for jumping on a microphone with me completely last minute. You guys, I basically texted her 48 hours ago and was like, do you want to talk about books with me this weekend? So thank you so much for being here with me and just being willing to do the book talk that we both love. Will you please tell the listeners, if for some reason they're unfamiliar with you, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in this world. Oh, I was really prepared to talk about books, not myself. Um, It's so bizarre why that is always such a hard question for me. I think because I wear so many hats and you and I have talked about that before. Like I never know like which thing to say. So I live in Nashville. I have three kids. My husband, Matthew, writes children's books and I work full time outside the home in corporate marketing for a large healthcare company here in Nashville. So that's my 40-hour-a-week day job. But I have been a lifestyle blogger since 2006. So before that term was even a thing, that's what I was doing. And now I have an online business where I encourage women kind of right where they are in their busy lives. I love talking about books. I love talking about Target. I love finding great deals. And um, I don't know what else. I've written a couple books of my own, um, which surprises me more than anyone. Um, I talk a, a lot about time, time management, thriving, 
My two books are called The Fringe Hours, Making Time for You and Stretch Too Thin, How Working Moms Can Lose the Guilt, Work Smarter and Thrive. Was that enough? That's enough. That's plenty. That was so much because you do (laughs) pretty much more than anyone else I know on the planet. So of course, you've written books about time management. And I am personal friends with you and have been since we were in the blog world together years ago, but also you're an avid reader. And so I love talking about books with you also because we don't have the same reading taste. We do not have the same reading taste. That's that's accurate. But I really respect you as a reader. And when you read a book that I think I will like, I'm like, oh, I think I'll really like this. Like, I really trust your recommendations as long as they're kind of in the spirit of the type of book that I like, if that makes sense. But how can you tell? I think this is funny because I also follow some people who we do not have the same reading taste. And I love to see just what people in general are reading or how they felt about a book. But sometimes I know... Some of the bookstagrammers that I follow, if they are super raving about a book, I'll be like, oh, it's probably not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do I know? Well, like you, you love Stephen King. I've never read a Stephen King book and I have no desire to ever read a Stephen King book. You read more nonfiction than me. So I think that's a difference. I don't know that I've ever really seen you read historical fiction, and that's one of like my top three genres. And you're like, <laughs> thumbs down. I really enjoy really well-researched historical fiction, like not cheesy historical fiction, but when you can really tell that the writer has immersed themselves in that research for that period. I think those are some of the ways that we're different. I actually love talking about books so much that on a whim one night a couple years ago, I started a separate Instagram called Book Snobbery just so I could talk about books because I felt like I was talking about them too much on my main Jessica and Turner Instagram that I had to like start something completely separate for books. And it's been a great joy to do that there. There's a lot of things that happen in the Bookstagram community. I've thought about starting a separate account. I wish just... you would. You should. You know, I can't really think of a reason why I would fully immerse myself in that because for a few reasons. One is I do talk about books on my personal Instagram because I have a separate Instagram for the show and like promo stuff that way. So I can talk about whatever I want on my personal account, I feel like, you know. I don't really love the book engagement online so much. I love talking about it. I love hear, I will listen to other podcasts about it. I like to hear other people talk about it. I just, there's something different about like using your voice to speak about it and like you can kind of get people's tone or exactly what they mean. For some reason in Bookstagram, I just get like, it either feels like pitchforks of crazy or it feels like everybody's raving about it in a way that's not, that's not helpful. I don't know. I don't, I guess it doesn't feel as much nuance or I don't know. Okay. I have thoughts. Okay. Tell me. I knew what you're saying. So here's why, and I didn't realize this when I was starting it, that this would happen. But what I really love about having a separate book account is that it's really easy for me to direct people there to see what I've been reading. So certainly I might talk about a book on occasion on my main Instagram feed and on occasion in stories, but book snobbery allows you to go and really see everything all in one place. So I see you talk about books all the time, but sometimes you talk about them only in stories and they don't ever make it to your feed. But if I knew that I could go to Laura's books and see everything right there, I think I would love that. And I have found 
the engagement to be crazy high for a very, you know, niche Instagram. And the, the people there just that's all they want to hear about. And that's awesome. And they really look for those recommendations. I don't put a lot of pressure on myself that I have to be publishing a certain amount of times a week. And sometimes I'll have a backlog. And I'm like you, I, you know, it's not like that would be ever a main focus. It's not part of like my business strategy. I mean, I've launched books and literally forgot about my own book snobbery account. <laughs> but I really like that that's all one place for all of those recommendations. And you have such great taste that I would love to have one place where I could go see all of Laura's recommendations, even what's on your stack, which you are considering reading, something that came in the mail to you that someone else thought you might like. I think that would be really interesting. And you don't have to put a lot of pressure on yourself to do it, but I think you should. Okay. But see, I'm snagging on the word that you used a few times in there where you said recommendation, because here's what has happened to me. I've posted about a book and people don't read the caption. And because they see the post, the pic, the photo of the book, they think I'm recommending it when really it's you... not your fault that they're not reading it. Though. I know, but I think about it like, because then people will come to me and be like, oh, I read this book and I loved it or I hated it because you recommended it. And I want to be like, well, I, first of all, I didn't recommend it. So whether you loved it or hated it or not, you didn't understand what I was posting. I know that that's not Maybe it isn't like Laura's recommendations. Maybe it's what is Laura reading? And this is where you're documenting your reading journey or something like that. I don't know. I, this is not why you had me on this podcast, but I do love talking about it. And I do love talking books with you. That That is the real thing. And I always want to see what you're saying. And I think you do such a great job describing books and describing what you like. That's something that is actually a struggle for me. And I think you do a great job with it. And I just want to consume more of that content, whether it's in your newsletter, it's on Instagram. I just want it all in one place, Laura, because I love it so much. You're so kind. The reason I think it's worth sort of talking about is just because the type of people who are probably listening to this episode also probably follow people who post a lot about books online. And so I just want to sort of voice that like, yeah, it's confusing out there. It's the wild west of book recommendations because- (laughs) People feel all kinds of ways. And then also sometimes Bookstagram makes me feel competitive in a weird way that I don't like. Like it makes me feel like I'm not reading enough or I'm not reading the right things or I didn't like a book that everyone else liked or or vice versa. Like it makes me feel feelings about my reading that I don't – like I want to just enjoy my reading and share the things I love and whatever and keep it truly that pure And most of the time, like 85% of the time, I think that is how I feel about talking about books on the internet. But sometimes I get all in my head about Bookstagram. That's the only reason we sort of took that tangent is because I do think it's like worth talking about, you know, the thoughts behind what you post, what you recommend in an Instagram caption. It's not the same as having a conversation, you know, or having a book club meeting or having, you know, like having a, a real talk about books, which we're going to do today. And I'm so glad. (laughs) Hooray. Okay, so I'm going to let you go first. We're keeping this kind of short because I haven't been reading as much in 2020. This is almost the least amount I have read in a long while that I can think of. I've just been super consumed with work and family and some travel and whatever and I just, I just am not reading as much as usual. Are you? What's your 2020 reading year looking like? 
I've been reading more than I was, but I don't feel like as much as I have historically. So I picked up a new hobby at the beginning of the year. I have started embroidering. And Laura, I'm obsessed with it. So people who have followed me for a long time know that I got my start online talking a lot about scrapbooking. And I said to Matthew last night, I said, embroidery is like Jessica circa 2005 scrapbooking. Like I got books from the library on embroidery. I'm taking online classes. I'm stitching every day. And so consequently, because I've been stitching so much, I haven't been holding a book. I really like a physical book, but I have been listening to more books and not listening to podcasts very much. I've been using that audio time for listening to books. So I've actually consumed, I think, more audiobooks than physical books this year. I also started a challenge at the beginning of the year called Read Your Books, encouraging people to read the books that they have. And I counted, I didn't count my physical books because it's in the hundreds of copies that I haven't, that I own that I haven't read. But my audiobooks, I think I had 74 audiobooks that I have the files for that I've never listened to. What? So some of the books that I'm going to talk to, including my first one, I've had for years, you know, because I would like do the Audible sales or I'd find like a Kindle deal and then it's like $2.99 to add the audio. And so I'm like, sure, I have so many audiobooks to listen to. So I've been listening to books while I've been embroidering, basically is what I'm telling you. I love the read your books challenge. Is that ongoing? Like, are you going to do that all year? Encourage people to do that? Yep. And I... I'm using the hashtag read your books and talking about whenever I share a book, if it's a book that I already owned, if it was part of the challenge. And really, I'm trying to not buy a ton of new releases. If there's a new release that I really want to get, I'll reserve it from the library, but really focusing on my shelves. Because like you, I, I curate really good books. Like most of the hundreds of books that I have have like a four and a half star or higher rating on Goodreads and or Amazon. So I know that I've got lots of good books to read myself. So I feel like I just need to focus on the library that I've curated at home. Uh, This is why in this conversation, you win all the smart awards. I want to do that too. I need to jump on your read your books challenge. I am so distracted by the shiny new thing. And, And I have like reading FOMO. If everybody's talking about a book... This goes back to Bookstagram again, because I did not used to care about this. For a long time, I my taste veered from like bestsellers and stuff. And so I wasn't really tempted by them. This is like pre-internet days. Like I was always like, I don't know. Not That sounds snobbier than I mean it. I mean, I liked, you know, I like Stephen King. I like I used to read a lot of true crime. Like I just wasn't what was sort of best-selling in the mainstream and I didn't care. Well, suddenly, if everybody's talking about a book, if it's a massive bestseller, now I can't resist it. And I'll end up reading those books, and and still they aren't always to my taste. Like, here's an example. Where the Crawdads Sing. Listen, I, I should have known. I could read that jacket copy and know that this was not a book for me. <laughs> It was a book for me. I loved it so much. Yeah. Top 10 for me last year. <laughs> I know. People love it. And I and I like fully appreciate it. I can see that it's beautiful writing. I can see that it's well done. Like I'm not, this is not a knock on the book. It's just like not to my taste. And I could have known that by the copy, by the cover, by the people who were talking about it. 
I, I, but I still, I just, I can't resist it. Everybody's talking about a book. I'm going to read it. I just have to know what we're talking about. And then, you know, I spend a week or two on a book like that. That isn't for me. And then I'm like frustrated. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been really great. I I mean, I picked up a book. This isn't one of the three that I I said I'm going to talk about. So I'm not going to say the name, but I've had it on my shelf for five years. And I freaking loved it. And you know what? I shared it and no one else is talking about this book right now. But I also know that people went to the library and they got it or they said, oh, gosh, I remember reading that book and I loved it. And so it's been very life giving to me in a really different way. And so we'll see how I do this year. I feel like if even 50% of the books I read are books that I've had on my shelf or in my Audible account. That's amazing and a lot better than I have been doing because I'm like you. I like the shiny new book. I like being able to talk about what everyone else is talking about. But there's so many good books out there. And I don't want to miss something that I know that I will love just because it's eight years old and it's been on my shelf for six of those years. Okay, well, let's just start then because now I'm dying to know what these books are. I'm going to let you go first because I'm only talking about two books today in this part of our conversation. I am going to do a whole other conversation about my to-read list because I have so many amazing things on my to-read list for the rest of the spring. But for our conversation, I'm going to do two. You're going to do three, right? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to let you start with – and what we're talking about, everybody, in case I was not (laughs) – uber clear, is <laughs> the best books that we have read lately, like in the last few months, like just some of our favorite titles. And this is something that you can talk about with any of your friends. It doesn't matter. They do not have to be as avid readers as you are, as we are. Even if you have a friend that only reads a handful of books a year, still talk to them about that. Like, I love it when people ask, what's the best thing you've read lately? What's something that you would recommend? Like, real life conversations, these are enriching, I feel like. So Jess, you go first. Tell me the first book you're going to talk about that's one of the best you've read lately. So the first is one I'm going to be really bossy about. And I don't even know everything we're going to talk about, but I say this is the number one book you should read from this conversation. It is The Gifts of Imperfect Parenting, Raising Children with Courage, Compassion, and Connection. It's by Brene Brown. I promise you, I think I'm going to listen to this book every six months for at least the next 10 years. It is the most profound thing I've ever listened to about parenting. Um, I think it was a course. So I actually took a Brene Brown parenting course. I quote it in one of my books, and I swear that some of the content felt familiar to me. So I don't know if they took this course and turned it into an audiobook. It's an Audible exclusive. It is less than three hours long. It was profound just absolutely genius. I wish I could have the hard copy book so that I could highlight it and reference it. Really, really phenomenal. And it was one of the 75 audiobooks that I have that I had not listened to. And I wish I would have done so years ago. But I promise you, it is probably the only audiobook I will listen to repeatedly over the course of my life. Okay, well, first of all, all hail Brene Brown. She is... Oh, amen, sister. (laughs) One of the greatest teachers of my life, definitely of my adulthood. And I feel like I had read all of her books and I haven't even heard of this, possibly because it's a Audible exclusive and I don't do a ton of audiobooks. I didn't even know yeah. about it. The way it's edited, it sounds like for today's lesson, like that type of thing. And so that's what makes me think it was some sort of like 
audio course or something. Her kids are also little when she's writing it. So it's definitely older. Like, because her kids are grown or almost grown, I think, now. Um, and they're little. And the example she's giving her is, like, her daughter in kindergarten. So it's old, but it's unbelievable. Is it similar in content, because obviously it's similar in name, to the book, The Gifts of Imperfection, because that's like one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah, there's certainly some similar themes, but everything is through the lens of parenting, how we talk to our kids. She gives this really great example of she's talking about some research that she was doing with, I think, seventh graders. And the seventh graders talking about how it's really hard when you feel like you don't belong in your peer group. But what's even harder is when you feel like you don't belong in your family. And then she goes into how important it is to communicate to our kids that no matter who they are or what they do, that they belong and that they are a part of this family belonging in this tribe of people. And just the way she set it up, I thought was so beautiful and it's something that I've thought about a lot. You know, how are we communicating to our kids that they belong right here? Just something that really stuck with me. And I could go on and on about it. It's just wild. And she gives examples of people who heard her talk on these topics as adults, and it impacted them. It impacted their parenting, and it impacted their relationships with parents. And um, I just think she's such a wise teacher. And I love hearing her talk about her kids and about parenting. And this was just like drinking from a fire hose. Okay, I'm going to go download it basically as soon as we hang up here, because that sounds amazing. Okay, my first book that I'm going to talk about is a novel and it was it is a popular one so now I'm going to talk about a bestseller that I did really love (laughs) the reason that I even bought it on Kindle was because so many people that I follow and people that follow me and so they kind of do know my taste had recommended it and a lot of them called it like their favorite book of 2019 and that is The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall have you read this one I haven't. I got it from the library and then I didn't get a chance to read it before I had to take it back. So it's at the beginning, you're introduced to four characters who then become two couples, Charles and Lily, James and Nan. And they're they're four very different people and their marriages are very, very different types of marriages. The men, the couples converge because the men become co-ministers, co-pastors at a Presbyterian church. And then, you know, things happen. So I loved the writing. I was really invested in these characters. I just, I like a family drama most of the time. And especially when it's not zany. There's nothing zany about this book. It is like, you know, normal people. There's some trauma I mean, some really, you know, hard things that happen and have happened in the past before we meet these characters. But it's, you know, it feels very real. It's realistic fiction. And I really just enjoyed reading it. I have, y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. 
Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. thing, this only happens to me a few times a year, as much as I read, where If I consciously think, as I'm reading a book, if the thought comes to my mind, I am really enjoying myself right now. Like like consciously, I think I am loving reading this book. Then I like make a note of it because I read a lot. I have lots of feelings when I read and I don't just have like the purest of enjoyment, which is kind of weird to say about this book because there's like a lot of hard things about this book. I think it was the writing. I really think that was a testament to Kara Wall. And this is her debut novel. So that was like very impressive. Here's my only thing I want to say about it. The first three-fourths of the book were amazing. I could have read 100, 200 more pages about these families. You know, there's conflict and there's love and there's hard things and beautiful things. And there's a lot of themes around God, which I think were really thought-provoking between two ministers and and who believes and has seasons of doubt and all of this kind of thing. And then like the book just kind of, it just ends. (laughs) I mean, they give a wrap up into like, and then in the future, this happens. You know, they give, they sort of, they don't leave a lot of things untied in terms of like plot holes or anything. But I I was like, what now? Like, how did we get to, like, then there was like an epilogue of like, and then. I hate when books do that. I'm. (laughs) I warn you, Kara. Especially for a book that was so good. And then to be right. like, wait, no, but it's 
it's over. Like, you know, you always wonder, like, was the publisher like, this is too long. It needs to be 300 pages instead of 600 pages. But for me, I could have read, I would have read easily. It was an easy read, you know. I I would have read 600 pages about this family. Like, no problem. And it doesn't do that. It just sort of ends. So that's sort of my caveat. I hope that's not a spoiler for anyone because I really am still recommending reading it because it's a good read. It's a good read, but just be aware that like it's it's just going to (laughs) end. And I I didn't love that. Have you read the book, The Most Fun We Ever Had? Yes. Did it feel similar to that in any way in terms of family drama? Just as you were talking, it made me feel the feelings I felt when I read that book, which I really loved last year. Is it the same like genre? Is it, is there any, maybe not similarities in story, but in terms of, oh, I feel like these are normal people that I could actually know. Is that, would you say there's similarity there? So it's not as friendly. The most fun we ever had, you wanted to like really know those people. You wanted to be in that family or be their neighbor or whatever. So now I'm going to say, I thought the most fun we ever had was too long. I'm like the worst critic. I thought it was too long. I thought The Dearly Beloved wasn't long enough. <laughs> okay. The so, most fun we ever had is really long. It's so. really long. I was never bored or anything. I just was like, this is – we we just continue on with this family. <laughs> it's, it's like friendlier and you want to be in it. I did not necessarily want to be friends with the characters from The Dearly Beloved. It is darker. It is sparser, but not overly so. It's not friendly. There's, a, there's some coldness purposeful coldness in The Dearly Beloved. So no, they're not that similar. But the reading experience for the reader might be a little similar. And they're like, oh, I'm just, this is making me think things and like have feelings. And does that make sense? Totally. Okay. My next book that I'm going to share that I really enjoyed this year and is a little outside my normal genre uh, was the book Dear Edward. Have you read Dear Edward yet? No, but it is everywhere. It's everywhere. So I got it from Book of the Month, which is a monthly subscription service that I'm obsessed with. And I got it in December. So technically, I felt like it counted for reading my shelves, even though it was very new to my shelf. And it is. it starts out and it's about a boy who has survived a plane crash. He's 12, I think. And he is the only survivor. Like we're talking giant plane Everyone dies. And the book goes back and forth between his life in the years ahead and the hours on the plane where you start to meet different people that were also on that plane and get to know a little bit about their stories, what they were leaving, what they were going to the relationship in his family, his parents and his brother were also on the plane. They all were killed. And It's delightful. I think I read it in a day and a half. It would be a great book to read on spring break or on vacation as long as you're not afraid to fly. Um, (laughs) It doesn't really talk about like the plane going down, but I mean, the premise is about a plane crash. But I just was delighted by it and have recommended it to a lot of people and really haven't had anybody say to me, I did not like that book. So, okay, but wait, why do you keep saying delightful? About a plane crash, like does it is it like uplifting? Um, no, I don't want to spoil anything. No, don't spoil um, anything. Just yeah, no. I think the way I felt about how it ended really made me feel settled, and that we can go through really traumatic, really hard experiences 
And there is still community around us and there is still friendships to be formed and there's still wholeness to be had, even in the midst of trauma and something really awful. And there's a whole lot of goodness in the world. And you see that theme in lots of different ways in the book. And it's just really beautiful. And I think delightful in that, like, I wanted to read it. I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to tell people about it. You know, that sort of not, not delightful in a like, ha 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 kind of way, but more (laughs) in like, I want to share this with other people. So it's it you feel good with it. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. It has a really strong ending. You won't feel about the ending the way you did about the dearly beloved. (laughs) Okay, good. That's good. I like that's good to know. A lot of people have recommended that one. I think I hesitated on it because I mean, I don't want to take too much of a rabbit trail here, but I travel all the time and um, have recently had some fear around flying. Maybe in the last two-ish years or something, I've had like a new way, a new channel of anxiety has popped up a little bit around flying that wasn't there before. And so when I saw that it was a plane crash thing, I was like, oh, I don't know. And I've read other, you know, um, what's that book, Noah Hawley, Before the Fall? Mm-hmm, before the Fall. Mm-hmm. I, I've read, so I've read a few other books. Judy Bloom wrote a book about a plane crash. Like I have read a few other plane crash books that didn't affect me in a bad way necessarily. But I don't know. For some, this way, I just was like, I hesitated. Okay. The next one I'm going to talk about, which I already talked about online, but I'm going to share about it here for a few reasons. But it's nonfiction, which of course I love. It is sort of the self-help slash memoir genre, which I also really love. And it's called By Yourself, The Effing Lilies by Tara Schuster. Now, a few things about this book. I knew that it was going to get this reaction when I posted it. It is worth noting that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about the plethora of books that have come out in the last few years with the F word in the title. Mm -hmm. And like why that is becoming a hot trend, you know, to be like, use a swear word. Vulgar. Vulgar, to use a vulgar swear word on the cover of a book that, you know, anybody can see when they walk into a bookstore or whatever. And it is... It is like definitely a thing. There's been like <laughs> a lot of these books that have the F word in the title specifically. And so people react to that because some people are like, oh, I could never buy that. But then some people were saying in the comments on my Facebook post about it, they were like, it makes me want to buy it. So, you know, I mean, like it's a polarizing word. It's a polarizing trend. So... However you're going to feel about that is how you're going to feel about that. Getting over that hurdle, I loved the content of this book. Tara Schuster is a person here in LA that I do not know, but I found so many similarities with sort of not her childhood life, which is difficult, and she writes a lot about her parents' divorce and it was very, very hard on their family when she was a kid. But she grew up here in L.A. Then she became a production executive at Comedy Central and for some shows that I knew people on. Like, I just – I felt like, oh, I know this particular slice of L.A. life. 
you do not have to be familiar with anything. She does not delve very much at all into the entertainment industry or anything like that. She really is mostly talking about pulling yourself out of a hole that I think a lot of people get into in their 20s. So you're a young adult, maybe you're free from a toxic childhood, but you really don't know how to take care of yourself. And she drank too much, she smoked too much pot, she kind of became a workaholic, like all of these things that I think are really easy to get into if you're on a certain path of young adulthood. And then when when she kind of like looked up and was like, I don't, this isn't what I want my life to look like, she didn't really know how to change it either. She didn't have parental guidance. She didn't have spiritual guidance. She did not know how to create a healthier life. And so the book is then sort of going through the different ways that she got healthy over years. You know, it's not like, a, oh, I now I'm, I'm healthy now. It's not a one, you know, night thing. And I just really related to it. I've been in and out of mental health stuff in my adulthood and, you know, really seeking a spiritual connection or guidance, really finding out a lot about my mind and body connection. This, these are all things I've talked about online. And so to see it sort of in the book form, someone else, she's younger than me, but someone else going through a lot of these similar challenges of like, I don't know how to parent myself. She talks about that. I'm, she's like learning to reparent herself as an adult. P.S. I didn't have the same childhood experience she did. But I woke up as an adult living 2,000 miles away from any family and without much guidance. And I also had to figure it out for myself. And so I just really related to it. She does use language, you know, so if you're turned off by the title, you might not like the content. It's not it, it's not over and over and over or anything like that, but it's there. So, you know, just be aware of that. And I just, I liked the memoir part. I liked the advice part. I like this genre of books that are coming out and not just because I'm writing a book in this same genre. A lot of the things that she talked about in her book are similar to things we've talked about on this show, are hitting some of the themes that I want to be in my book. It's just, I I just was like, oh, if there are going to be more books like this, I will be so happy to continue beating this drum, you know, in my own, on my own platforms. And so that's why I'm recommending this book. If you're, if you're not a big nonfiction reader, and you don't mind the language, I think that you'll take a lot from this, especially if it's the kind of thing that you don't read very often. I have had it on my list, I think, since it came out. I really like listening to memoir books, and I think this would be one that I would like to listen to. So I'm glad to hear you talk about it. Okay, so, Laura, I'm so torn about what other book I'm going to share. That's why I was looking at my phone where you were talking. Um, so I think the other one is, that I'm going to share is a book called Mustard Seed, which is an older book. It's, again, another one of the audiobooks that I've had for forever. It's by Layla, I don't know how you say her last name, Abraham, maybe? Anyway, she also wrote the book Yellow Crocus, which you probably haven't read either of these because they're this is the historical fiction genre. She writes about like post-Civil War times and about relationships between former slaves and white people. And this book is about a woman who um, grew up on a plantation in the South. Her family had a lot of slaves. And she essentially was disowned by her family because she thought that it was wrong. And during the Civil War, she moved north and left her family. And she has 
cultivated a great friendship with some of her family's former slaves who also moved north. And it is about this post-Civil War period, and they go back to the south, and you see all of the racism that still is very deeply entrenched in the culture and how people treat other people um, based on their very racist views. And the book goes, you know, point-counterpoint between these two different characters, these two different women. And I just found the audio performance to be really beautiful and the story to be really beautiful and really hard, but a lot of um, redemption and love as well. And really, really enjoyed it. It isn't a super rich book in terms of the writing style. It's a pretty simple writing style, but the story is really profound, difficult, beautiful, and one that I'm still thinking about weeks after finishing the audiobook. So that is my third book that I'm going to share. Wait, repeat that title. What was that one It's called, called Mustard Seed. Okay. Is this the one that you sent me that you said is not a cute cover? That is right. Mm-hmm. It is. An, it is. It, you see the cover and you're like, mm, man, I wish they would have just done a little better with that stock photography or photo shoot. It's just it's not a good cover. And I think that's why I also waited a long time probably to read it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like that. But my aunt has very similar reading taste to me. She has she, any book she recommends. I know that I will like and all, it always has been that way. I mean, 25 years of her giving me great book recommendations. And so I told her to listen to it and she has just absolutely loved it. And she said, Jessica, I've been listening to Mustard Seed and I just keep thinking to myself, no matter how hard our trials are, the trials that these people went through is just another level. I just can't get over it. And it really is, the storytelling is is profound. It makes you think a lot about a period that I think we don't maybe think about a lot, that kind of post-Civil War, what it was like right after the Civil War. And it's just really well done. Man, I love that recommendation. Even though you and I have different tastes, I love that recommendation. And I love reading books like that that just inform you of something that is a bigger picture that we, you know, books that entertain and educate at the same time. I I love books like that, except for not general historical fiction. I don't love those. (laughs) (laughs) Which I can totally appreciate. It is not for everybody. But I do think that when something is well-researched and well-written, it can make you think about something um, that you haven't ever thought about before. Yeah, I agree. Okay, these were great picks. Thank you for not only discussing these books with me, because I really love talking about books with you, but also just being a friend, doing it last minute with hardly any prep. You are a total pro. You are so articulate. You just have really, really good things to say in the world. And I super appreciate you coming on the show. Laura, you're the nicest friend, and I will talk books or anything else with you anytime. You guys, how often do you think about your socks? If you're like I used to be, probably not much. But I recently discovered socks that changed the way I'll think about socks forever. Truly. They're called Bombas. Have you seen people talking about this? I finally tried the socks that everyone raves about, and I totally get all of the hype. I wish all of my socks were Bombas socks. Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They are made from super soft, natural cotton. Every pair comes with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's comfy but not too thick. 
There are many colors, patterns, links, and styles. Bombas look great in the gym, at the with sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating, and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free. It is also pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, com and use code U Y O U. Office and out on the town, Bombas are what feet daydream about. And bonus, for every Bombas purchase you make, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com/u today and get twenty percent off your first purchase. That's B O M B A S dot com slash you y-o-u for 20% off bombas.com slash you and now to my conversation with my book club friend stephanie newman smith you might remember stephanie from episode 46 the book club episode the best worst and buzziest books of the year where we were also joined by our other book club friend yasmine dunn Stephanie works in film development for a production company here in Los Angeles. She is smart and thoughtful, and I love to talk to her about things like the American dirt controversy. Over the next half hour, we really get into the different layers of what has been written about the novel American Dirt by Janine Cummins. But as a brief overview, I will just say that the author is a white woman who has written a novel about Mexican immigration to the United States. The criticism around it has to do with the fact that many Mexican writers or immigrants from other parts of the world are trying to tell these stories as well, born from their actual knowledge and experience. And yet Cummins was paid over a million dollars for a book that some say is full of inaccuracies and also has some story elements borrowed from previous works of other writers. Cummins herself argues that she did years of research to write this novel and that she believed she was being a bridge builder, someone who could shed light on these stories of families fleeing their home countries for the United States. I do not think every element of this is clear cut. And as always, I appreciated being able to talk it through with a friend. So here is my discussion with Stephanie Newman-Smith about American Dirt. Okay, first of all, Stephanie, thanks for like literally swinging by my house to discuss <laughs> this literary controversy. Because whenever something like this comes up, 
I just want to talk to my book club about it. Yes. And I really wish Yasmin was here with uh-huh. us. But it's just the two of us. We love to talk about this kind of thing. We don't always or don't even usually agree. Fair. Which I think is why I like talking about this kind of stuff with you and at book club because, you know, we all have different backgrounds. We all have different opinions and thoughts. And uh, I just think that makes for really good conversation. And I always come away from it thinking a little bit differently. And this controversy about American dirt, I mean, I cannot think of one that's been quite so explosive since James Frey wrote A Million Little Pieces. It turns out that was not a memoir. Oh, no, entirely <laughs> faked. Yeah. <laughs> um, also tied to Oprah, actually. Yes, and what? Had the most cringeworthy apology on her couch that I've ever seen. I just think that when Oprah anoints something, mm-hmm. it's going to invite a lot more scrutiny than anything else. Absolutely. I mean, she is the most influential you know, outsider in publishing. Mm-hmm. Like, and by outsider, I mean, you know, she's not like. Oh, she in picks the a book and we all read it. She does. I mean, it's an sure. instant bestseller. It's going to sell, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies. It's going to spark conversation, good and bad, like literally no matter what she picks. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, if she picked a rom com, it would, there would be like a thing. So then, of course, this, where there's some real legitimate concerns and and things to look at here it just like blew up huge so I want to just start quickly with what my how this book came on my radar back in December or maybe even before that maybe in November I had a handful of people and this does not happen that often to be honest I had a handful of people reach out to me on Instagram to say you have to read this book you have to pre-order this book. This is going to be the book of 2020. I loved it so much. The people who were saying it are people I follow on Instagram, so bookstagrammers, mm-hmm. or you know the type of people who would have had an advanced copy. Right. Get early galleys or whatever. Yeah. And so they knew, they thought that I would like this one. This was before we knew Oprah had picked it because... It's, you know, culturally relevant. It has a darkness to it. It's sort of a thriller, like things that that I think people thought I would like. So I did. I pre-ordered it. It arrived on release day. And in just the few days, maybe the week before release day is when it started to like kind of... Mm-hmm. The know, think pieces came out. <laughs> all the things happened. And when I, I saw some of the actual think pieces, like mm-hmm. the from people like in... in like professional people, sure. The New York Times, whatever, like bringing Big culture up. writers, yeah, culture writers saying saying some things. I saw the um, Lauren Groff response on Twitter, and you know, I'd, see, I'd seen some of those things. But then, week of release, I started to see bookstagrammers, people who review books on Instagram. Mm-hmm. There was sort of like a call to boycott. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that word was used, but there was like a call to not read it or purchase it. And I had a completely different emotional reaction to that than I did to whatever think pieces were being written. Because I do not like a book ban. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I say that on principle and I say that across the board. Sure. I would 
almost die by anti-censorship. This is a value that I really hold. Mm -hmm. So I completely appreciate when people say, this is a book that I am not going to read or purchase. Here are my problems with it. I think this is dangerous. I think, I think, I think. Fine, great. This is why we have amazing discourse in this country. When I saw what I was perceiving as like creeping towards a book boycott or a book ban, no, like Mm -hmm. I am against that on principle because this could go just the other way, like for any kind of book. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. And so then I started to feel like, I don't know, I don't want to say defensive of the book because I have no, I don't know this author. I don't like nothing. I'm not tied to this in any way, but I started to feel like, oh, like this is as someone who talks about books online, like I just, I'm not going to wade into these waters right now. I'm not really sure exactly. I, I didn't have an immediate grasp on all the layers of the controversy of which there are several layers to this, but I just, uh, that was my reaction of like, oh no, oh no, we're not going to like if banning books, shaming people into, you know, into not reading books and like things like that. It just, this is the pitchfork of the internet. Mm-hmm. On any topic that is what makes it hard to have original thought. Sure. It's the dogpiling. It's the, it all gloms on in one giant fashion. Yeah. What did you see? Did you, because I know you get advanced copies of books all the time. So I didn't know what your experience was like, if you were aware of the book before it came out or what. Yeah. So I work in the film industry and I, my company works with book scouts So what we do is every day we get a memo of here are the upcoming books. And this can be anywhere from six months to two years out. So this one, I had originally, I think, read the logline last summer. And I just kind of missed me by. Like, it wasn't one that I immediately gravitated towards because I have so much to read that sometimes things just miss me by. And then pretty quickly there was... I could be wrong, but I believe a bidding war over the book. The book got sold. And at that point, I was like, well, if it's good, I'll read it when it's out. Once everyone's reviewed it, I'll read it for my own personal pleasure. And so in the fall, when people started talking about how this is the greatest book ever, I was like, it may be. I'll read it on vacation at some point in the undetermined future. I tend to, for work, I obviously prioritize things that I could actually make. And then when the book came out and the controversy started swirling around, I am a gigantic culture writer reader. I read everything. I obviously was obsessively following the story. And it made it a book that I just didn't care to read. I'm not, I would never actively call for a boycott, but it made it something where after reading several think pieces, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I care to read this now. Maybe one day I will, but it made it move to the absolute bottom of my priority list. So with that qualification, I have not read the book. I knew before you came today that you had not read the book. I finished the book literally this morning. (laughs) Nice. I debated about whether or not to read it. I still wanted to read it. I'd already paid for it. I'd already pre-ordered it. It was there in my home library. I felt like, because of a few things that have happened over the last couple of years and talking about books on this show and other shows, I felt like if I was going to talk about it, I needed to have read it. Sure. It really irks me when people try to deep dive and they haven't read it. Now, I don't think everyone needs to read this book if you're not reading it on principle or if you're not reading it because you're not interested in it, 
like that's fine. That's mm-hmm. totally valid. But like I am uninterested. I, like if I wasn't going to talk about it, we wouldn't even be talking about it. Here. Right. Totally. You know I mean? Like I feel like you have to know what people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Or I did. So I just finished it this morning. There's a few layers of this that I want to talk about. I want to talk about publishing in general. I want to talk about who can tell what stories. That was the first, you know, sort of big controversy that I read about when this first started brewing before it went into these other issues. And then, you know, there's some claims of some plagiarism that's a strong word. Some borrowing, mm-hmm. if you will. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I just want to talk about the actual book itself. I'll save that till the end. No spoilers, but because I have read it, you know, yeah. just like how would I feel about this book without all the controversy? If I just read it in a vacuum, like just read the book, you know, would I like it or not? Was it worthy of the early raves, in my opinion? So. I guess let's start with the first big question, which is the, that I saw posed at least, which was who is allowed to tell this story? Janine Cummins is a white woman who is telling a Mexican immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to be the person who tells someone they can't write about what they want to, but I do have some qualms about some of it. Like, I mean, we talked in your December episode, like one of my favorite books last year was Kevin Wilson's book. And he wrote about motherhood and he's obviously a man. And that doesn't bother me. Like, I think he did an amazing job. I would never say men can't write women. Women can't write men. You can't write across, you know, racial barriers. I will say though, and I find this in film as well, because I do this in my own job, I frequently want to know from writers, why do you want to write this story? Why is it that you think you are the best person to tell this story? And if you don't think that you're the best, like, why are you? I want to know the motivation more. Because sometimes I read books or I'll read a script, you know, that deals with a very, you know, difficult subject that isn't written by someone who has either experienced it or could ever experience it. You know, I remember reading a script once written by a man that was entirely about women and their experiences with abortion. And everything was from a woman's perspective. And I couldn't figure out why he wanted to write that, which isn't to say men don't have experiences with being the other side of abortion. But it was such a specific story. And it kind of felt like he was trying to hit the zeitgeist because that's what he wanted to do. I wonder about people sometimes who tackle really polarizing or difficult subjects that have nothing to do with their own experience. And I want to know why. Well, I think she does say... She talks about it in the foreword a little bit. Yeah, she, talks, she has an author's note at the end yeah. that, you know, again, were it not for this being so focused upon, I thought was a well-written and a decent explanation for why Mm -hmm. in her author's note. That's fairly long. It's like three pages. It's not just a little PS. I mean, it's a, it's a thought out thing. And then she said in some of the press after that she felt like she was 
you know, interested in this story. She was passionate about this story. She thought she could do it well and do it justice. And she felt like she could be a bridge to do so. Now, on its face, I think that's a valid why. I do think that. Now, I think that she and her publisher have done some, like, really weird misstepping here. So this this is not a, like, overall, you know, saying that, that her why is completely fine. But I do think that... There are people who are positioned mm-hmm. to write a story that will maybe bring about a change in perspective. Mm-hmm. And that that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, I mean, in the last few years, one of my favorite books has been Rebecca Mackay, who writes... The Great Believers. A the Great Believers. A truly amazing book. And she is a white woman who mm-hmm. wrote about gay men in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Some of it, like, from a first-person point of view. So... And I loved that book. And that mm-hmm. book did make me know and understand things in a different way that I would not have had if I had not read that book. Mm-hmm. That uh, was and, one I thought about as well. And a book that has been much maligned, also happens to be the same editor as the one that acquired American Dirt, is Catherine Stockett's The Help. Oh, yes. I also liked that book. Now, I'm a white person. Mm-hmm. Reading from... The story of a white person who is trying to engender sympathy Mm -hmm. in me, and it worked. Now, I understand why, like, people of color had problems with that book, and now I can really understand a lot of criticism of that book that I didn't when when I first Mm -hmm. read it. But as Yasmin would say, and she's not here, like, that book wasn't written for her. That book was written for me. Yeah. The white girl. And I'm glad that it shifted my perspective a little bit. I can have multi-layers of thought there and, like, learn from it and see, like, oh, what about it wasn't accurate or what about was stereotypical in a harmful way and all those good conversations that came out of it. But I'm glad I read that book. Mm-hmm. And so – before I'd actually read American Dirt, when I was reading the who gets to tell whose stories, the first layer of criticism of that, of course, we should listen to people of color, any kind of minority who is saying this isn't accurate. Mm-hmm. This is harmful to our community or harmful to our cause. Mm-hmm. But before having not read the book yet, I was thinking, well, is this a situation like the help? where it is a white person writing for white people and is trying to get them to be more sympathetic to what is happening at our borders. Mm -hmm. And if so, does that make it okay? Yeah. I think part of it too is the books that cause the most controversy are the ones that I think are not as successful. Like, I think there was much less controversy about Rebecca Mackay's book because the execution was better, and I think people felt okay about it. And I think a lot of it comes down to execution. If you're going to do a bad job, you're going to take heat for it. And if you do a great job, you might not. And then that becomes a conversation of, I wish there were more writers of color, more LGBTQ people, more people, the whole, like, own voices movement. And it becomes a question of like systemic change. But I think a lot of it for this book comes down to a lot of people think she botched it. Like, yeah, okay, you're right. So that's the next layer. So to right. me, the first layer is who gets to tell this story. Mm-hmm. The deeper layer is did she do a good job of it? Right. Which I think is pa- this is a, 
a publishing layer. It is also paired with she got seven figures for something that people thought was poorly done. Mm -hmm. You know, she kind of mangled the Spanish. Mm -hmm. She also got a tremendous, and this this is kind of tying into the same controversy with the book My Dark Vanessa, which is obviously a separate situation. But you have someone who was paid a tremendous amount of money to write a book, not at all from their own experience, when you have a lot of struggling writers who are trying to write these same kinds of stories and are getting absolutely nowhere with publishing. I think that inflames the controversy. Absolutely. And the money piece is a huge part of it. It's a huge part of it. If this was a book that sold for $50,000 and was not plugged by Oprah, and it would not have been, I think, as big of a controversy. Yeah, I agree. I also read an article. And by the way, I'm going to list just a ton of resources or just like resources might be a strong word. (laughs) A ton of things that I read and just articles and think pieces and opinions and they're all over the map. I read a bunch of stuff. I'm going to link to all of it in the show notes if you haven't followed this that closely or you just want to see what kind of what I was drawing from. But a lot of people are saying that that people are calling the book trauma porn. Yeah. Which is not, I had not heard of this. Yeah, that is definitely, and that's something that I struggle with. And one of the reasons that I was initially less interested in the book is that is something that I don't, in general, like. Trauma porn porn is obviously a very loaded term, but I will be the first person to say that, like, I don't watch The Handmaid's Tale because I don't like things that are oppressively bleak as entertainment. Like, watching people suffer and calling it entertainment is a very weird place for me. And I think that one of the things that is hard, particularly about this situation is you have a white writer who is writing from the perspective of people of color and saying, look how awful their lives are. Isn't this horrible? And pointing it out and turning it into entertainment. And that is uncomfortable. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I have two thoughts because then I remembered what I thought I forgot uh, a second <laughs> ago. <laughs> in in But it's all sort of in relation. One, to respond directly to the idea of trauma porn. I did read one article, I think this was on The Cut, where she was saying that she had grown up in a life of trauma and she was never going to write that book. She also wasn't going to read it. Mm-hmm. But like that it's hard for people who have actually lived the trauma to then write about it. Theoretically, we want it to be the people who know the exact experience to share about it. But, you know, maybe it it makes more sense that they're the part of the research as -hmm. opposed to the people who actually are able to execute it because it's so difficult, because Mm -hmm. the material is absolutely so difficult. So I thought that was an interesting point. I don't know if that's right or not. I'm not a trauma therapist. But, like, I just thought, oh, you know, I hadn't quite thought of that. The other thing I was going to say where I lost my thought a minute ago about the publishing industry is that I did come across quite a few people who mentioned some version of one of the real problems with this book 
outside of the marketing, which we'll talk about in a second, Ooh, Lordy. was the positioning mm-hmm. that this would have been an okay book in commercial fiction and, and also probably wouldn't have been as big of a drama because it would have had lower expectations on it mm-hmm. than a book that was set up as literary fiction. And it was called The New Grapes of Wrath. And even outside of Oprah, it was sort of positioned as like, this is going to change everyone's view on, you know, the border crisis in America. Mm -hmm. Setting anything up as the definitive version of anything is already really hard. Or that it's going to change your view on something. That was problematic, like, industry-wise, I think, because Mm -hmm. that's when you're going to have people saying, but it's inaccurate. Like, that's when the it really, really matters that you get it exactly Mm -hmm. right or as close to right as you can. So then the other piece in the publishing layer of what has gone wrong here (laughs) was the like out and out marketing. And by that, I'm talking about the author got a version of a manicure that was the cover of the book. Yes. So which is barbed wire. I saw this. It was technically, I think, not her. She someone posted it and she reposted it as isn't this amazing. That doesn't make it. Not terrible. They also, for the publishing party, had centerpieces that were made to look like the book cover, which, again, was barbed wire. And I think there is a particular level of tone deafness that came along with this book and the marketing. I mean, that that centerpiece thing with the barbed wire yeah. is so shocking to me because, you know, the, to me, there's some gray area in this in this trauma porn argument Mm -hmm. in that like, what does that mean? We can't write about hard things. Like what, what do you mean? Yeah. That's like a big conversation. And I just, I don't fully buy that. This book is trauma porn now that I've read it. Like, Mm -hmm. I I mean, there are lots of books that are thrillers that are about hard experiences that are like, where where do you read so many of them? Yeah. Like, where do you draw the line between, oh, no, but this is, Mm -hmm. you know, an exploitation and this one isn't or, you know, whatever that. But when you add in a layer of making barbed wire Mm -hmm. a decorational centerpiece well, you lose all your arguments. Yeah, because what it comes down to is then you've reached a point where we are fetishizing trauma. You are... You're making it cute. You're making it cute. It's not cute. Like, this is a very hor- horrible situation for so many people, and you are trying to make it charming. I d- and that's so... Ah, it's so icky. That that weird detail alone, it's more than a detail, that weird yeah. fact alone took so much of the author and the publisher's defenses Mm -hmm. like I just threw it out the window because I think there is some thoughtful conversation to be had here you know of of all different angles yeah the centerpiece thing is about what did me and to be like oh no they actually don't get it yeah I felt the same way and I particularly because of the publisher I think because the publisher is the place you make systemic change. And I think that, and book agents and like the whole system, but pinning an issue on one, one particular writer and one particular book is, I think it's part and parcel of a larger conversation of why is it that this is the book that got made? And why is it that, I mean, the film industry is not significantly better, but the publishing industry is so overwhelmingly white 
It is the agents. It is the publishing companies themselves. It is the writers that they greenlight. The same way it is in the film industry. And when you are working at a major publishing company and they want to tackle a zeitgeisty book that's dealing with a difficult issue, they're the ones who are like, yeah, this writer, this book, as opposed to so many others. There are so many struggling writers who are people of color who are not going to make it through the kind of gauntlet to get published. And I think the publishing company just showed how much they don't get it in so many ways. Um, Lastly, I just want to talk about the actual book. I can't, I absolutely cannot separate the controversy from the story. I've tried all morning <laughs> to, to like sit with it and be like, but how do I feel about the book? Just, you know, as a general interest review to anybody who also has read it or who might loosely care what I think about it. I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I would not have known the inaccuracies. I mean, I wouldn't have, I'm not educated enough to know. Mm hmm what part of the Spanish wasn't quite right, or I didn't realize, and this isn't a spoiler, but the actual entire book is a mother and son's escape from Acapulco to the United States and and their journey. And they travel by train, by walking, by, I mean, there's all, you know, there's all these ways in which they're trying to get to the United States. I did not... Re- Realized that that was the entire book. For some mm-hmm. reason, I thought, just from what I had read, that they were going to get to the United States and then it was going to be like a immigrant living in the U.S. story. That's mm-hmm. what I thought the bulk of the story was going to be. So I was sort of prepared almost for a, like, indictment on America. Mm-hmm. Like, that it was going to be, like, how hard it is to be here. And that's what I was ready for. Right. It's not that. they. That's not. It's that's just not the journey. The whole thing is the journey. Gotcha. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's interesting as a, like, plot. But I think I kept waiting for what I thought was going to happen, which was, you know. Mm-hmm. And, it, again, the whole thing is the journey. That is the journey. <laughs> not the destination. In fact, there is not much about the United States hmm. at all, other than it painted as, like, the promised land and a right. place we're trying to get to. And, you know, maybe it, as she is trying to write from the experience of a person who doesn't have any experience in the United States, so they can't imagine it or think about it. Right. Therefore, the book isn't about that. But my own expectations kept being like, okay, but are we going to get there or not get there? Like, I didn't realize that, you know what I mean? So I'm mm-hmm. sort of just saying that it's like, the whole thing's a journey. That's the book. It's harsh. It's violent. It's sad. Mm-hmm. I did not find it as terribly written as some people said that it was. I really didn't. And, you know, I'm snobby about certain things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like brilliance personified, but I would have never said that it was poorly written. Right. At all. I thought there was some good characterization. You know, you cared about the main characters a lot. Mm-hmm. I did. And so there's that. I am curious by some of Oprah's statements and the reason that she chose it and that it was so perspective changing in her mind and that she really thought it would affect other people's perspective. 
because I don't know that I would have called it that if I didn't know that I was like looking for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very, it's a difficult journey. I mean, it's it's hard. I think I knew that. Mm-hmm. Not the details, but you know, like I guess I am, when I finished it, I was thinking, well, what about this made Oprah think that like everybody needed to read it mm-hmm. because it's not a typical story of people escaping. There's been a, there, it starts with a very, very violent act that I cannot believe is a daily occurrence necessarily. Mm-hmm. Again, somebody correct me if that's my complete ignorance talking, but I do think a lot of people are running from something. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but the, the circumstances in American dirt are really extreme. So you're not like reading just like an everyday I mean, it's a, and I, and I think that the author is trying to touch on there's particular violence towards journalists in Mexico, you know, cartels, like those things. And in terms of a book, you have to make it like really, really compelling. So it's like amped up. It's like a situation Mm -hmm. on steroids. Right. But I guess there's not any subtlety. So I guess to me, I just was like, I wonder what. One of the things that turned me off a little bit was I did read the author's note. When the controversy was roiling, I was like, I'm going to read. I'm curious what she says about her own book. And one of the things that she said, and pardon me for like terribly paraphrasing, but she says something like, I wanted to write the book so that, you know, American readers would stop seeing these people as like a brown faceless mass. And I was like, whoa. No, that's not how I see these people. That's not that's not in the author's note. Uh, not, when, what was so that? I read she that says in the author's note, yeah. I wish someone a little more brown than me yeah. had written this. Her editor, when they when she or her not her agent, I think her editor, the uh-huh. publisher, when they sent it out to people, they sort of quote her as saying like but that is not in the author's notes. Okay, good to know. The bre- the quote about the brown faceless mass was maybe in her proposal or something and then they used it in the gotcha. when they sent it out advanced copies and stuff like when that. In some like preface letter or something. So it That's was what I think I read. So it was that was said. Right. But that is not in the author's note. I thought the author's note was thoughtful other than she does talk for several paragraphs in the author's note about her immigrant husband mm-hmm. and she just says my husband's an immigrant we lived in fear for a long time that he would be deported and she sort of says that which is factual mm-hmm. he is an immigrant from ireland which is a different circumstance right and she never says that mm-hmm. and i i think this was a purposely vague choice right. Because I think if you didn't know this, and, and in a lot of ways, you wouldn't know this because there's usually not like a million jillion press articles about a book. Yeah. So you, if you came to the end of this book and you read the author's note, you make the obvious assumption that she's talking about her, that her husband is a Mexican immigrant. And then you would really feel like, wow, she really is connected to this mm-hmm. work. That, that felt very purposeful, which also felt deceitful to me. So again, mm-hmm. in the ways that I might want to defend People can write any story they want. Mm -hmm. Some of those things that I think, they're just completely negated by what feels like obvious deception. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but that feels purposeful. And so then you're like, oh, no, you guys aren't. This isn't about censorship or Right, it's about intentionally obfuscating the issue. Yes, and so then that changes it. Right, and that's definitely something that made me less interested in 
in reading the book is just that it doesn't feel like it was done with honesty or quite frankly, empathy. Like it, she, the way that she has talked has made me uncomfortable and the, and specifically the way the publisher has acted made me feel not great about them. Well, I will say that the book is written with a lot of empathy. That's good to know. So the book is very, very much, and maybe this is what Oprah meant by, you know, really affected her. The book is very, makes you very sympathetic to why people would want to try to get to the United mm-hmm. States. Like what the, you're introduced to a lot of different characters that they meet on their journey and and everybody sort of has a story. And so why you might be fleeing something, why America is the promised land you know, why the caravans exist, you know, why people are willing to come over with their children, knowing the risk that they might be separated from them. Like, it is giving a lot of, you know, face and heart to that, mm-hmm. which is important. Right. And as we talk about this in America so much now, it really is important. And maybe Oprah could see that from a, a bigger point of view of why she wanted everybody to think that. Mm-hmm. Because if you are coming into this book with a political belief that's very anti-immigrant, you maybe haven't thought of this from a heart perspective. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what Oprah was going for. Sure. And I, I had thought of it as a heart perspective. And so that's why I guess what I mean where I was like, this wasn't, this didn't like knock my socks off right. in the heart department. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that, it wasn't new to me to think about it like that. Um, not because I'm so enlightened. <laughs> Or anything like that. And I and I actually did not like that it does get a little... It was actually... It was strikingly unpolitical mm-hmm. in general. Now, obviously, the overall message of it is, is, has a political message, especially if you're in the United States. But in, the narrative was not. Until sort of the end, there was like a, a few things that were, and I was... I noticed them. Right. And I was like, oh, here we go with this little part. But it was actually a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be, given the topic of the book. So now, complete controversy aside, I don't know that I would have chosen this book. It's pretty dark Mm -hmm. for an Oprah, but for an Oprah pick. Yeah. It's it's violent. Mm -hmm. Again, I think she must have probably calculated that risk and gone a, for it. Yeah, it's a book she clearly thinks people should read. Right. So so they're going to do, so they say, a uh, talk, mm-hmm. her and Oprah and Janine, that's going to air on Apple Plus, I think. Yeah, I'm actually really curious to watch it. Me too. And I, and I wanted to have this conversation with you and on the podcast before, I wanted to say, like, this is how I feel about it before I hear from Oprah. It's also going to be interesting to... To see that afterwards, because I feel like so much of my kind of ill feelings towards the book have to do with the marketing, have to do with the the tone deafness, seemingly of the publisher, of the author, of a lot of people involved. I'm curious to actually hear from the author, because I've read many articles. Vulture is, and the New York Magazine is all about talking about this book, and I read everything they write. But I don't feel like I've read yet a kind of long form interview with the author about her feelings now and how she approached it and why she kind of, you know, 
how it all has all spun out. Um, I'm curious to know what she thinks, like what she says. Me too. I'm curious to know what Oprah says. I'm curious to see who they bring on to offer, you know. Yeah, the other perspectives, which they've said they're going to, yeah. to include. I think this is all very interesting. I you know, don't want to be any, you know, damaging to any kind of a people group or anything like that. What I hope is a silver lining from all of this is that it has started some really good conversations about the publishing industry, Mm -hmm. about censorship, about immigration, which is, I think, what Oprah was going for. All of the things, good and bad, like, it just, you know, reinforces to me that I think books are the number one thing that can change the world, mm-hmm. long-form stories. Obviously, the internet changes the world on the daily. But these longer-form novels, to me, a literary controversy can have a good side. You know, it opens up yeah. a whole thing. And I think it's been a real year of literary controversies. I mean, going back to 2019 as well, because there were several in the YA space that were about similar issues, and YA Twitter is very scary. Freaking YA, man. It's, it's, so I don't like YA books, first of all. Fair. <laughs> but I also came across a bunch of this YA stuff yeah. when I was reading about American Dirt, and I was like, Dad Gum with the YA community is crazy over there. It is intense and terrifying in many ways. But I think, I'm, I hope that the same way that there is a, con- this, they're kind of the same controversy. I mean, it's it's different books, but it's the same issue of, who can tell what stories and why are we prioritizing these over others? And just there needs to be a full scale reckoning about the publishing industry and how white it is. And I hope that we see progress soon. Like, I hope that things are trending. At least people are talking about these issues. I hope things are trending in the right direction. Yeah, I hope so, too. Okay, thank you for I meant to talk to you about this book for 15 minutes. <laughs> it has been a lot more than 15 minutes. I should have known that we would be long winded. But I really do appreciate you willing to just like swing by on a Sunday afternoon, talk about a controversial issue and and do that with me and with the audience. I, I think that these kind of conversations are what people want to be having in their own book club with their own friends like This is the whole crux of my entire podcast, so thank you for doing this with me. Of course. I'm always happy to. I'm Laura Tremaine, and you've just listened to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 Things to Tell You. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.